0: what's up everybody and welcome to through the veil episode number 39 i'm your host alex nelson and today's episode is going to be a solo cast with just yours truly and we're going to be talking about all things microdosing psychedelics this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It is something that I have found a ton of benefit from. And so I'm going to try and cover all the basics and some things that might be a little bit less common that you may have not heard before. So tune in, really get a full deep dive on the topic of microdosing. As always, if you enjoy this episode and you get value out of it, please share it with a friend. Leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify now, which you could do and give it a uh, follow and listen so that you can help spread this show and spread the message. And if you feel called to start a microdosing protocol, I do personalized one-on-one microdosing sessions and helping people kind of structure a plan to begin microdosing for themselves. So if that is something that is interesting to you, there is a link in the show notes to my website where you can book a free 30-minute consultation. Get to learn a little bit more about microdosing, so without any further ado let's go ahead and jump right into the episode all right Well, let's go ahead and dig into the topic of microdosing. So this is something that obviously has become very, very popular in recent days as psychedelics in general have begun to take off, become exciting in the public zeitgeist. And as with anything that becomes so popular so quickly, there is a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of bad information out there about microdosing. So I'm going to do my best to clear up some of that today. A lot of this is just from personal experience, from observation of clients, from watching people go through the process. So I do my best to provide my perspective on this. There are different ways to do this. So this isn't the one and only podcast you should listen to on this topic or the only research you should do. But it's my perspective on what I've seen be really, really effective for people over the years. So first and foremost, I mean, microdosing has just blown up and become just massively exciting to people. And it's important for me to acknowledge off the top of the episode that psychedelics are maybe, and by maybe I mean probably, still illegal in your area. So let me be clear, I'm not recommending or encouraging you to pursue illegal activities. And additionally, I am not a doctor. I am not your doctor, certainly. And this Podcast is just for educational purposes, so if you were already going to do this anyways without my advice, then this is a way for you to learn a little bit more about it, but it is not intended to be medical advice. So, disclaimer's out of the way. We're going to go ahead and jump right into just what microdosing itself is. So, when we talk about microdosing, there's a few different ways this term has come to be understood, and The way that I think about microdosing is it is consuming of any psychedelic compound on a dosage in which it is nearly sub perceptual. And by that, I mean, you know, if we think about classic LSD or psilocybin mushrooms, which are the two most commonly microdosed substances, you think of a trip dose where you have visuals and you're seeing things and maybe you have auditory hallucinations and maybe you're feeling all this stuff. That's more of a trip dose. That's a traditional higher dosage. When we're aiming for microdosing, the goal is that you feel it to some extent, but there isn't this visual stimulus. There isn't this auditory hallucinations. You're very present in your life. And so you're able to actually like go about your day-to-day life in a way that is productive on the substance and not be impaired by it. Whereas on a more trip dose you'll be very impaired. You wouldn't be able to go and do normal activities like drive a car, or at least certainly shouldn't. So when we talk about microdosing, there's a whole spectrum of doses that are within that lower range that have come to be considered microdosing. So like I said, traditionally a microdose was nearly sub-perceptual with no visual or auditory hallucinations. Now, That definition has broadened a little bit in recent years as more and more people have started microdosing. So there is space in the definition of microdosing for things like half a gram of mushrooms um, or a very small dose of LSD where you would certainly feel it and you may have some visual artifacts going on. You know, that wall may look a little funky or maybe the colors on the outside get really beautiful. Um, But it's still at a level where it's very manageable. So for example, if you're an artist and you were to take half a gram of mushrooms, you'd still be able to create the art you were trying to create, but it wouldn't, uh, you'd be able to notice the dose. You'd be able to very clearly notice the dose that you had taken. So. That is within the realm of what we consider microdosing. You know, some purists would say that's not truly a microdose because you're definitely noticing that you are on the medicine. However, I, I lump that in with my consideration of what a dosage of a microdose is. So, there's a bunch of different styles of microdosing that we're going to talk about today. And really there's three main variables that you want to consider when you're starting a microdosing protocol. So first it's psychedelic choice. What psychedelic are you going to microdose with? There's LSD, there's magic mushrooms aka psilocybin, there's even things like wachuma, some people microdose with ayahuasca vine. Um, There's a whole dearth of different things that people can microdose with. For the purposes of today, I'm going to speak primarily about psilocybin and magic mushrooms because that's really my direct area of expertise. Uh, Psychedelics like LSD have their own distinct amazing benefits for microdosing. I just don't have as much experience with those. And so I don't want to speak to something I don't know as well. The other main variables that you're going to consider in a microdosing protocol are frequency, aka how often do you take a microdose, and dosage itself, how much are you taking each time you take it. So first let's talk about frequency. Now there's two broadly popular frequency schedules um, for psilocybin and those are called the Fatiman protocol and the Stamets stack. Now the Fatiman protocol is named after the famed, uh, famed psychedelic writer and researcher James Fadiman, and that protocol has a participant consuming one microdose every 72 hours. That's every third day. So if you take your first dose on Monday, your next dose would be on Thursday, and the dose after that would be on Sunday. Now this protocol is uh, really considered the standard. This is the more common protocol when people have a recommendation of a microdosing protocol. then we have the Paul Stamets stack, named after the mycologist Paul Stamets, and that has a participant consuming a microdose for four days consecutively and then taking three days off. Now, there's some variation in this. You know, Some recommendations you'll see of his microdosing protocol, they're doing five days on, two days off. Um, however, that's the less common version of it. So I put for this purpose that we're talking about the four days consecutive on, Three days off. And in the Stamets stack, he also has the participant consuming both lion's mane mushrooms and niacin in addition to psychedelic mushrooms. And there's some reasons for that that we'll get into in a second. So let's talk about the pros and cons of each frequency schedule a little bit. Now, the James Fadiman protocol is really where I start most beginners. You know, on average, For most people, psilocybin completely clears your system within 72 hours. So the Fadiman protocol is based off of that idea. And the reasoning for it is you could do this protocol, taking one dose every 72 hours, theoretically forever. There's no tolerance built up when you're doing this protocol. It also is the more cost effective of the two strategies. So in an average month doing the Fadiman protocol, you would consume 10 to 12 doses of microdoses. And if you're doing the Stamets protocol, you'd be doing potentially 16 plus uh, doses in a single month. The Fadiman protocol also leaves a lot of room for adjustments, which is one of the things I like about it for beginners. So, you know, if you take your first dose on Monday and then that second dose is coming up and you have to take it a day early, on Wednesday instead of Thursday. It's not the end of the world. You can just adjust the schedule from there on out. Um, Or if you need to take a dose a day late, again, it doesn't throw off the rhythm of the entire schedule. You can just adjust afterwards, and it doesn't really mess things up too badly. Now, the one major con of this protocol for some people is that it's just inconsistent in terms of the days that you are consuming the doses. So, for example, First week, you may be dosing Monday, Thursday, Sunday, but then if you're continuing the cycle, the following week could be Wednesday, Saturday, and then Tuesday of the following week. Now, for some people, the moving cycle is really no big deal, but for others with like very consistent work weeks or specific things they want to focus on, it may not be ideal, and they may prefer the consistency of the Stamets stack that we'll talk about in a second. Now, The Paul Stamets stack is really primarily and originally developed for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, uh, he, I believe, developed it to help those with brain injuries. Now, lion's mane, of course, is a really beautiful supplement for brain health, and niacin actually just helps the uptake of the psilocybin and the lion's mane. So that's the reason that's in there. Now, this protocol may also be better For those who are weaning themselves off of antidepressants. And the reasoning for that is if you're coming off an antidepressant, which is typically something you're taking every day, the ability to take the microdose four days in a row provides a little bit more consistency and it's a little bit higher of a frequency of dosing, which allows a little bit of an easier transition. Obviously, people really struggle to get off antidepressants. It can be really, really hard. I've had a bunch of clients that have gone through that process and it's always difficult and never super fun and enjoyable. And having those four days on to really build a little bit of momentum and having those three days off, you know, ideally being the weekend or whichever days they have off of work where they can relax and just, you know, if they feel low, then they can just be a little low and it's okay. uh, Helps a lot with that transition. So one of the other really big pluses to the stamut stack is the consistency. Like your dosing days are gonna be the same every single week. It'll be, you know, if you do traditionally, you do Monday through Thursday and it'll be that every week. You don't have to think about it. It's just Monday you take your first dose and then Thursday is your last dose of the week and you don't take it over the weekend. Now, there's a few cons to the Stamets stack, and this is why I don't recommend it for beginners. So first, because of that four consecutive dosing days, you are building a subtle tolerance to the psychedelic. So there's almost no room for skipping a day or for taking a dose on one of your off days because you're already building a tolerance. So you really can't afford to build additional tolerance by skipping a day or by taking an additional dose. Um, It also isn't a protocol that you can do perpetually, I find. So most of the time after the first month of doing this format of microdosing, you will need to take an extended hiatus, usually at least a full week, to allow the mushrooms to completely clear your system. And, you know, one of the last cons of this protocol is that a lot of people are really sensitive to niacin. Niacin can give you this, like, nasty sort of itchy skin feeling. And, you know, it's super safe as a supplement, so nothing is actually bad happening. But it is something that can be quite annoying, especially for those that are uh, sensitive to it. But it is a big part of the protocol. So those are the main two formats. Now, there is something to be said For once you've gained a high level of experience and intuition with microdosing, you can follow a protocol that's more like you microdose when you need it, or you microdose maybe two days a week consistently. Um, This can be totally okay. I don't recommend that to beginners, simply because a lot of beginners in microdosing are going to really quickly find that they're either trying to microdose every day, which of course doesn't work, you build up a tolerance, or they're using it as a coping mechanism. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's one of the main reasons that I prefer when someone's beginning, they either stick to the Fadiman protocol or the Stamets stack. Like you do one of those, it's consistent, you know what days you're taking your dose, you don't have to put too much thought into it, and then you don't have to worry so much about it becoming a coping mechanism, allowing you to avoid other things in your life. So, our second consideration when we're considering a microdosing protocol and what the different styles are is dosage. Now, dosage is the tricky bit, whether we're talking about psilocybin, whether we are talking about LSD. You don't always know the potency of the substance you're taking. It's one of the things that makes microdosing a little bit tricky sometimes for people. Now, obviously, there's like nearly end, endless strains of mushrooms becoming available with varying potency. And I personally prefer, if someone can source it, the strain known as Golden Teachers. They're very consistent in strength, they're never ridiculously stronger than you expected. And compared to some of the other strains, they seem to have a little bit more of a positive mood-boosting effect. Now, that's anecdotal, so I want to be clear about that. We don't have any data to back up whether different strains of mushrooms have different felt experiences to them. Um, We don't have, like, clinical data on that. But from what I've noticed, and quite a few people I've talked to have noticed, golden teachers specifically have a very positive, uh, glowy type of effect. Now compounding the problem of all the different strains is the fact that each person has a unique biochemistry, which is going to cause psilocybin to interact with them differently. So when we're thinking about all of this, these are all the things we have to take in consideration when we are beginning to work on what the dosage of the microdose should be for the person. Now, there's a couple key strategies to employ. I mean, first and by far the best if available, is to have a trusted manufacturer of microdoses. If you're purchasing from a consistent source, it's gonna ensure that you'll have a relatively consistent product, which is just gonna allow you to start to modulate the amount you're taking based off of the strength that you know they are. Second is to test out the smallest microdose possible first. So for most people with psilocybin, that's gonna be a dose of 0.125 grams. Now, One of the reasons I like to start people with that dose is at that dose, there are very, very few strains out there that are going to cause a full on trip where you're going to be like having visuals. So for most people, that's going to be a very mild dose. You may barely notice it. For some people, it'll be the perfect dosage. Um, So I want to be clear about that. Some people are going to take that 0.125 and they're going to be like, wow, this is awesome. This is exactly what I was looking for. But that's always the starting point. And then you work your way up from there. Now, a key thing with any psychedelic, just in general, is you can always take a bigger dose next time. But once you've taken too much, you can never decrease the dose in that moment. That's really key to remember. Like, you don't have to be in this huge rush to take the maximum amount possible in as you're beginning your microdosing protocol. Just take the low dose first and work your way up and see where your sweet spot is. Uh, third... If you're making your own microdoses, use a coffee grinder to powderize the mushrooms. Now, this is going to allow the potency, which is very different in different parts of the mushrooms, depending on both the grower and just the mushroom itself, uh, to sort of become equalized across the batch. Once you make it all into powder, it should be relatively even across Each microdose the strength of the microdoses. So that's the way you want to consider making your dosages a little bit more consistent if you are making your own at home. Now let's talk a little bit about the general different dosage ranges and what you might use them for. So the first dosage range is what we call like a true microdose and that's anywhere between 0.125 grams to 0.2 grams. Now for most people that's somewhere in there is going to be the sweet spot this range of dosage is awesome for everyday tasks like going to work working out meditating anything else you do in a normal day Um, and unless you're extremely sensitive to mushrooms which is quite rare you should be able to do just about anything you would do sober on a microdose of this size now you want to of course work your way up you don't want to start with the point two but this is for most people like when you think about your daily driver of microdose whether you're doing the Fadiman protocol or you're doing the Stamets stack you're gonna find that somewhere in this range is the dosage you want to be taking. Now the next range of dose is what I would call more of like a perceptual dose. So this is anywhere between 0.2 grams to 0.5 grams. So 0.2 up to 0.5 grams. Now While this isn't a traditional, air quotes, microdose, this dose range is awesome for creative works. It's really, really good for if you have a fully free day and you want to dive deep into a meditation, do a long journaling session or do some sort of self work or even, you know, take with a partner and kind of talk through your emotions and talk through what's going on. For most people, this dose is going to be at least slightly impairing. For example, you probably should not drive on these dosages. but it'll allow you to still be present. It's not going to be so overwhelming that you like need a guide to help you out. Now, of course, you want to work your way up. For some people, that 0.5 gram dose will actually be the threshold where they start to have what we would consider a full on trip. So you never want to just start there off the bat. You want to work your way up and eventually get to that point and then take it from there. And then the next range, which we won't really talk about much right now, because it's not the purpose of this episode, is anything above 0.5 grams. And at that point, we've firmly left the realm of what you would consider a microdose. It's not a microdose at all. At that point, it is what we'd call a macrodose. And, you know, those dosages have their own place, but they certainly are not microdoses and shouldn't be confused as such. Alright, so now that we've talked a little bit about some of the reasons or some of the uh, ways in which you might microdose, the different protocols you might follow, let's talk about the reasons you might want to try microdosing. Now this list is super long and again we are waiting research on so many of these different things. A lot of these are anecdotal so some of these could be placebo, some of these we may later discover are like absolutely something enhanced by psilocybin itself. But I'm just going to go over a few of the more commonly known reasons for microdosing and a few of my personal favorites. So microdosing supposedly helps with mood enhancement, creativity, self-discovery, increasing your ability to be present, improving your meditations, changing habits, doing art, writing, understanding your feelings, having clarity, having mental sharpness. Feeling a sense of neural malleability, aka your ability to re-pattern new things, feeling more open, smoking cessation, and being generally more kind. Now, of course, that probably seems like a hell of a list, and it is. And we are really still coming to understand the main mechanisms of action for some of these phenomena. Now. I personally believe that a lot of these positive effects stem from two of the core roots that I just listed, which is increased presence and increased ability to understand our feelings. So for example, the more present we are, we're typically more happy, we're clearer on what we want, we're more creative, and we're more able to just process through our life. And then the more we understand our feelings, the more we can navigate uncomfortable emotions like depression, anxiety, and anger as well as we're able to be more kind to others and we're able to set boundaries better because we understand what we are feeling more. So that's just an example of, you know, how I think two of those roots that really psilocybin does work on, uh, kind of splay out into a ton of different branches of different things that it affects. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about effective strategies for microdosing. And again, it's going to be dependent on what it is that you are looking for personally from a microdosing protocol. So again, as I said at the beginning of the episode, if you want to book in a one-on-one call, a 30-minute consultation where you can kind of go over the details of what you're looking for, I can make recommendations. That'll be in the show notes. You can click the link and book it in, Um, but you have to consider what it is that you'd want. And that all being said, These are the things I find most effective in general for most people. So consuming the microdose first thing in the morning, it does have a stimulant effect. So if you take it in the evening, you will be up later than you want to. Chances are. So doing it first thing in the morning, usually before breakfast, is a really good way to just like maximize it and make sure it doesn't interrupt your sleep at all. Set an overarching intention for each month that you microdose. So if you're doing a month of microdose, right now it's the month of March that just began, then you want to go, okay, what is my goal or what is my intention for this month? Like, maybe I want to understand myself better. Maybe I want to work on my anger. Maybe I want to grow my business. Whatever it is, whatever your intention is for the microdose, set that intention ahead of time, and then each time you consume microdose, take at least five to 10 seconds, but ideally, you know, two to five minutes to think of your intention, to bring it to mind and focus on it. And that allows you to build that linkage between the microdose and the thing you're trying to accomplish. You can take up a habit of journaling even if it's only for five minutes a day, it's just a massively useful tool in conjunction with microdosing for self discovery. It's really nice, especially for that first month or two that you microdose to have some journal pro- or some journal entries to reference back to because it allows you to see objectively like if things were different or not. Oftentimes our subjective experience of ourself, it's really hard to capture like how good were the last month's days But when we have it written down, we can kind of look at it and go, okay, yeah, last month was actually really good. And the one variable that I really changed was microdosing. Uh, Take your first microdose always, um, especially the first time you ever microdose on a day where you don't have a lot going on, just in case it's stronger than you expect. This is a big one. You don't want to be in the middle of the biggest meeting of your life at work on like, oops, that wasn't quite a microdose. That was a little bit stronger than I expected. So take that first microdose on a day where you don't have a ton going on. It'll just allow you to feel better about it. And if it's a little bit stronger than you expected, then great. You just have a day to yourself. Um, Picking a microdose schedule and sticking to it. Like we talked a little bit about earlier, microdosing is best done as a preemptive plan. And not as a reaction to uncomfortable emotions. So whether you're going to follow the Fadiman protocol, whether you're going to follow the Stamets stack, whichever plan you're going to choose, stick to it as best you can, unless you have ridiculous, huge circumstances happen. This will keep you from avoiding. And one of the things you don't want to do with microdosing is have it become the new drinking or the new smoking weed or the new whatever ways in the past maybe you've tried to avoid some of your own uncomfortable emotions or moments you want to always be preemptive like hey no I'm taking my microdoses this week on Monday Thursday and Sunday and those are the days and I'm sticking to that and the only reason it'll change will be if I can't take it on one day I won't take it extra as a reaction to how I'm feeling and then you know the last real tip here is Give yourself space to practice feeling more deeply each day. Uh, This is one of the huge benefits of microdosing. It's like so under-talked about. Microdosing helps you to feel what you're feeling more clearly and more deeply. So you could just take up a habit of meditation, or it could just be as simple as like, You microdose first thing in the morning and then you sit with your coffee for 10 minutes with nothing else going on. You don't look at your phone. You just sit and you drink your coffee slowly and you just contemplate. You be with yourself for a little bit. Uh, That feeling more deeply is really, really huge. So let's talk some about the risks and the downsides. Something like people don't talk about (laughs) for some reason, which is always shocking to me because it's like if you want to paint a proper picture of microdosing, you should talk about the risks and the downsides. So to be certain, on the whole, microdosing is exceptionally safe. I mean, there's essentially no physical risks barring some one in a million personal reaction to it, which is just like there's not even literature about that because it hasn't happened. Um, Not to mention that the actual lethal dose of psilocybin mushrooms is like some ridiculous 50 pounds or something. So in a microdose context, you would not be taking that. Um, but you know, you want to be aware of what some of the risks are. So, and I want to be clear here in this section, I'm talking about risks specific to microdosing. These do not necessarily apply to the risks for higher, you know, ceremonial or full on trip dosages. It can be different. So The first risk, and by far the one you'll hear the most about, is if you suffer from schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or other related mental illnesses, you want to be very careful when you're considering a microdosing protocol. Obviously, consult a trusted mental health professional and discontinue a microdose protocol immediately if you notice any worsening of symptoms or difficulty discerning what is reality and what isn't. Um, Similarly, if you're currently on antidepressants, you want to be really careful engaging with microdosing. Now, at a higher dose, there's concern about serotonin syndrome. At this low of a dose on true microdose, we're not really concerned about serotonin syndrome. It just probably is not even possible physically. However, the main and most common side effect is simply that the SSRI, if that's what you're on, will just completely block the effect of the microdose, and you'll get nothing out of it, and you'll be like, wow, this didn't work. Super common. People start microdosing, like, this didn't do anything, and then later on in the debrief. You're like, are you on any medications? And like, Oh, I'm on an SSRI. It's like, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Now with the schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, there's some literature at one point. Um, and it was actually with LSD about it bringing on schizophrenic breaks in people who are already predisposed or who are already schizophrenic. That hasn't been replicated. Um, You know, I am personally of the opinion that we'll come to find that it's just not the case. It's not the risk we thought it was. And certainly at true microdose levels, the risk is greatly reduced. Um, But it is a consideration to be made. If it's something you're worried about, talk to your mental health professional and just be really, really careful. Take a low dose first. Notice how you feel. If you start to feel a little bit spun out, a little bit disconnected, a little bit like removed from reality, stop doing it. Um, Now, the next real risk or thing to be aware of is something that we generally consider a positive attribute of microdosing, but in certain circumstances it can be a very negative attribute, and that's the amplification of emotional awareness. Now usually it's a huge win to be more aware of your emotions because it allows you to be more aware of your boundaries and your thoughts, but in some specific circumstances it can actually be pretty unhelpful so as an example if you're working a job with a boss that you absolutely fucking hate but you can't leave the job yet because you need to continue supporting your family and you don't know what job you're going to do after this one it probably isn't the best time to microdose because it chances are microdosing is just going to make you abundantly more aware of how much of a dick your boss is and you're going to be a little bit more unhappy as a result now Maybe that lights the fire under you to hurry up the job search and look for a different job. But if you truly are stuck in the circumstance you're in for the moment, it is just good to be aware that you don't need to just make yourself be getting more pain from the thing you're already experiencing that already sucks. And in some similarity to that point, there's also a risk that old unprocessed traumas can come up to the surface to be sorted through. Now, again, typically... This is a fucking awesome thing to have happen. You're like, oh, I get to sort through some of my old difficulties. But in some cases, it's not the right time for it. Now, to be clear, usually this is a feature of higher dose psilocybin experiences. You probably won't experience this to a uncomfortable degree on a microdose, but it is something to be aware of. And you know, if stuff comes up, you want to be aware of like how much space do you have in your life to process something. So as another example, maybe you just started a brand new job. And you're the busiest you've ever been. Probably not the best time for that deeply traumatic memory to surface because maybe you just don't have the space to process it right now. And that's okay. You know, there's a whole field of psychology where we look at how someone needs to be ready to process traumas. You can't just bring up the traumas and expect them to magically work themselves out. They need to be like mentally resilient enough and have the space to process them, to actually process them. So just something to be aware of. Um, Again, at true microdose levels, it's probably not going to just like come up out of nowhere. It'll probably be as a result of you like meditating deeply or journaling. And so it's something to be just cautious of and thinking about. Now, one last risk, of course, is the chance of nausea. This is, again, quite rare. Uh, very few people at microdose levels are going to have an experience of nausea. I personally add in organic ginger powder to all of my microdosing kits to kind of like help with any possible nausea. But it's it's a possibility. It's just something to be aware of. It's one of the reasons you should do that first dose on a day where you don't have a lot going on, because it would really suck to be nauseous at work or something. Of course, I want to be clear, I can't list every possible medication interaction here. And it's really, really important when working with psychedelics that you claim your own responsibility and do your own research on any possible contraindications. So just hop into Google. And if you're, you know you're on a specific medication, type in psilocybin and then type in the name of the medication and then type in contraindications or type in psilocybin and then whatever medication you're on and safety. And it's usually going to turn up some results either from studies or from just anecdotal data of people having done uh, psilocybin while being on those specific things. Again, mushrooms are very safe at these low dosages uh, in general. They really don't have interactions with very many things, but it's just good to take that into your own wheelhouse and go, look, I'm responsible for my own medical health. I can't just outsource this and go, well, Alex said on a podcast, that's probably fine. So I'm just going to not do any research. It's like, now you got to look for yourself and find it out and be sure that it is fine. So let's jump into some of my personal recommendations. Um, these are things that if a client comes to me and they're seeking a microdosing plan, these are some of the questions that I ask. So first question is, what do you want to accomplish by microdosing? just writing out your answer, being really clear. I'm like, what are you trying to get out of microdosing, you know, for the next month, let's say, or just overall. And then the next question being, what is your plan aside from just taking the microdoses to accomplish this goal or this thing that you want to get done? Again, it's a feature of Western sort of I don't even want to call it medical system, but just in general, like Western thought that we really want a magic bullet all the time. So we're always looking for the thing where it's like, oh, well, if I just start microdosing, then my depression will get better. And it's like, no, probably not actually. It might just make you more aware of it. And that's not going to be easy. So what's your plan aside from just taking the microdose to accomplishing the thing you want to get done? And the last question is really preventative. So it's, is there anything you can think of that will be a barrier to your success in accomplishing your goal? If so, what could you do to hedge against or to prepare for this potential barrier that could come up? And this is just good planning in general. You should do this with any of your goals. You know, if you know that you're trying to quit smoking and you wanna use microdoses as a way to quit smoking, but you're aware that one of the barriers to your success can be how stressful you find your family, you need to have a plan in place for what you're going to do when you have to see your family. Like maybe you just don't see them for a whole month, or maybe each time you see them, you make sure it's on a day where you microdose, So you have like a little bit of a boost and you feel a little bit better, or maybe you employ some other strategy, but you know, that old saying failure to prepare is preparing to fail. It's that exact thought there. Something I observe over and over again is that most people who air quotes fail at microdosing or don't get a lot out of it have a similarity that they didn't create any sort of action plan on how they wanted to accomplish their goals. Again, they're trying to treat microdosing as a magic bullet panacea, which they can simply take and things will improve on their own. And it would be really nice if things worked that way, but I have not encountered anything in my entire life that is just like, yeah, you just leave it alone and it does its own thing and it gets totally better you know, in general, uh, all of life (laughs) tends towards entropy. So the questions above are kind of like intended to clarify your intention and action plan so that you can be effective with your microdosing protocol. The goal is success. The goal is not to go like, oh, wow, that was shitty. I felt slightly better for a month, but nothing changed. You want to change things actively. So once you've got your objectives clearly in mind, we can start on the recommendations. So for most people, what I'm going to start them on is the Fadiman protocol at a dosage of 0.125 grams. And this is for a few reasons that we've already spoken about. But in summary, it's because it's the more consistent of the protocols that you, you could continue on in perpetuity if you wanted to. And then we're starting at that low dosage to just determine tolerance. You're going to take your first dose on a day where you're not busy and really pay attention to how you feel. If you feel a subtle boost in mood, some increased awareness of your emotions, maybe you feel like the world is a little bit brighter or a little more colorful, those are all signs that you probably nailed the correct dose. If you feel none of that after three attempts, so you know that first week, you want to try this three times. You don't want to just do it one day because maybe you were especially full with food or maybe you were especially, whatever, stressed out it can mess with how you feel it, but try it three times at that lowest dose. And if you still don't feel it, then escalate the dose to the 0.2 grams. Again, you want to consume the dosages first thing in the morning before breakfast and take two to five minutes to bring your intention to mind that you've clarified as you take the dose, continue the protocol for a full month and then stop usage for one week. And this is because during that off week, I want you to determine if you accomplished what you wanted, and then think about is there a next thing you would like to accomplish, and then really ask yourself the question if you want to personally continue microdosing. Now, I know people who have been happily microdosing for years without interruption, and I also know people who just do one or two months a year where they cycle a microdose for a specific purpose, a specific thing they want to work on, and that's it. Now, there is no right or wrong in this. It's just what's right or wrong for you. So taking that week off after the first month is a really potent way to reflect, to kind of go, okay, how did that work? Did I get some of the things I wanted? Did I work on some of the things? Were there some things where I didn't get what I wanted? And really focus in on like, okay, if I'm going to continue microdosing, let's continue to have a plan in place. Let's see what I'm getting out of this. Now, two potential things to keep in mind here. The reason for the strictness of the microdosing schedules in general is to keep microdosing from becoming your new coping behavior. It is not ideal long-term to take a microdose every time you feel a little bit depressed or anxious. It's simply going to teach your brain that you can avoid the emotions through external substances, and that's not a good pattern to teach your brain in general. Second, it's good to remember that at a high level, mushrooms and microdosing are a key to a door that is already within yourself. So all of the phenomena we've accomplished during a microdose protocol are things that you could accomplish completely sober. The microdoses are just like a beautiful skeleton key to the door that's inside of you, instead of you having to manually, laboriously pick the lock every time. And that's important to remember, because you don't ever need to be reliant on this as a crutch. Rather, it's a tool in your self-actualization arsenal. And that's a really beautiful reflection, because you want to know that I don't need to be doing this, but I'm doing this because it is effective and it's helping me and I enjoy it perhaps. And it's okay to have a little bit of enjoyment in my life, but if I want to take two months off, things aren't just going to fall apart. Like my progress is real. I am doing these things with the microdose, not the microdose doing them for me. So some closing thoughts. Microdosing has been a massive ally in my life increased emotional awareness, boosted mood, ability to process what I want out of my life has been a real cornerstone of my progress. And I really believe that if you take it as seriously as it is laid out in this podcast and you give the medicine the proper respect and wholeheartedly dive in, I have no doubt that you're going to feel similar shifts and similar ways about the power of microdosing. You want to keep in mind that you are the medicine to your own woes. Like, you are the crux of the thing that can solve any problem that you're in. And mushrooms are simply an adjunct therapy to help you return to your truest version of you. Microdosing can increase awareness, mood, creativity, and inspire action. But it can't move your arm for you. It can't force you to write. It can't force you to lift that weight at the gym. It can just make you aware of the fact that you probably should go to the gym or probably should finish writing. Ultimately, microdosing, and mushrooms in general, are medicine of awareness. When we're aware of our issues, we can generate solutions to them. But keep in mind that awareness without action equals suffering. So if you become aware of all your problems, and you become aware of how like you're responsible for them, but you don't do anything about it, you're going to be in a dramatically worse place than when you were just beautifully unaware of all of the problems. So it's keeping that in mind. Like if you really want to pursue a microdosing protocol, you have to be willing to work. Like what creates effective microdosing for people is a willingness to do the work in addition to the microdose. If you just take the microdose and expect that things will change, maybe that'd be cool. Sometimes they do, but you can't count on that. As you gain awareness, you need to take action on the things you've become aware of. And this goes for everything in our life. And that pain of being aware of something and knowing you're not doing anything about it, that's a special kind of pain. I've been there quite a few times myself, and it's not a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you got some gems out of this about microdosing. I wrote a whole article about this uh, on my website, so that'll also be in the show notes if you want to check it out. And, you know, essentially covers the same information, but sometimes it's nice to be able to read it instead of hear it. And that can be a good way to do it. And again, if you want to book a free one-on-one call with me to identify the best microdosing plan for you and discuss how to sort of safely go about making a microdosing kit or finding a microdosing kit, I'll put the link to that in the show notes, and then you can click through, book it up with me. We can hop on Zoom and talk about it and kind of get you into a place where you're ready to start that microdosing protocol that's about it much love everyone and i'll talk to you soon all right everybody well that is it for today's episode i hope you enjoyed it if you did again a five star review on itunes or now on spotify i just saw that the other day you can leave five stars on spotify too uh it really helps out with growing the show with getting the word out and helping spread some of this good info and you can always share it with a friend and if you liked a specific episode reach out to me on instagram i'm on there at alexander diesel that's always in the show notes and give me a follow there and hit me up and let me know like hey that episode was dope i really liked it i super appreciate that stuff It fires me up As I said in the episode a few times, the ability to book a coaching call with me to get your microdosing plan in order and kind of develop a plan, I will put that option in the show notes as well. It's free, so it's just a 30-minute consultation. You can kind of get an idea of how to start microdosing. And that's it for today. So I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope this was informative and useful and that you liked it. And if you did, share it with a friend. Much love, everybody. And I will talk to you soon.